0: Why don't you open your Bibles with me to James, chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Aloha mai kakou and mahalo nui loa. Just thank you so much, Kahului Baptist Church. I have so much aloha in my heart for all of you. And every time that I get the chance to bring the word it is a special, special thing. Auntie Amy Shinsato, who read the scripture before I preach, used to teach my Sunday school class. And those aunties faithfully labored, and it is amazing that they did not burn the Sunday school room down. Because <laughs> I tell you, when we were young, we were crazy, and they had to deal with all of us. <laughs> we're so thankful for their faith. As we jump into James, I understand, like we're just jumping right into the middle of a book. So (laughs) I really want to give us context to understand what's happening in James, what James is trying to accomplish before we just jump right in into the middle. Okay, James is often referred to as like the New Testament Proverbs. He's just giving practical help, right? So he doesn't spend a lot of time just expounding on deep theological depth of truth. He's trying to show these Jews in the diaspora and the dispersion, this is how you should live if you have true faith in Jesus. If you indeed have true faith in Jesus, then there is a certain way that your life will look because we are to be doers of the word, and not just hearers of the word. See, James here makes faith inseparable from works. He makes faith, true faith, inseparable from righteous living, so much so to the point where he says in chapter 2, verse 17, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, And again, he says to the point that he is, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now that is confusing if we do not understand what James is rightfully saying here. James is not saying that we're saved by the work we do. James is saying that if you have true faith in Christ, then you will be changed by that faith and you will walk in accordance with the scriptures because Yahweh promised that he would give us new hearts, that we, that we would be attentive to walking in his commands. It is impossible to claim to have true faith and to produce no righteous works. Works are the natural outcome of genuine faith. We need to live righteously if we have gained a righteous faith. And that's so important to understand as we look at the scripture today. Because James goes from emphasizing works as mandatory for faith to instantly talking about our words soon as he follows that up, the beginning of chapter three, he says, not many of you should be teachers. Not many of you should give instruction from the word of God. And then he says, be careful. He gives a warning. Be careful of how you use your tongue because your tongue can be a little match that sets ablaze a great forest and wreaks havoc and destruction. And it can be a salty pond that brings no refreshment. And he warns us what our words can do. He jumps into talking about words. When I moved to Maui, I was five years old. Five years old. <laughs> and I grew up on Lanai, those first five years of my life. We was country, it was country living. And there was people there that were Hanai to us, that were our Ohana, even though we didn't have the same blood. But they were our family, and there were people there that I didn't know life without. And one family in particular were the Ambys. Many of you know the Ambies. They're still active in the MCBA at Lanai Baptist Church, Uncle Bruno, and Auntie Patty. <laughs> They're my parents' best friends. We grew up with their kids, Their kids were my cousins. There's no, hey, that's my really good friend. It's like, no, they're my cousins. This is my ohana. And when I moved to Maui, I was removed from that environment, but Uncle Bruno and Auntie Patty soon after came to visit us. They would come and stay at our house all the time. And the first time that he came back to visit, the first time that Uncle Bruno came back to visit, I was perplexed by something. As we sat there and we talked story and I listened to him and my dad talking, I was confused, I was confounded, and as soon as my dad dropped them back off at the boat ramp in Lahaina and came back home, I went up to my dad and I was like, Dad, since when did Uncle Bruno have a Filipino accent? (laughs) What? Since when did he talk like that? I didn't know Uncle Bruno had a Filipino accent. When, since when, Dad? And my dad looks at me, he says, Son, Uncle Bruno always had a Filipino accent. He's from the Philippines. (laughs) And I thought, oh wow, that makes sense. But I was embedded into that culture. Those were the people that I was surrounded by. And until I was removed and took a step back and able to observe it from afar, I realized, hey, there's something different about that. And often this is what happens with our words. We don't see our words for what they truly are. We don't understand what our words, how we speak, the way we use our tongue, what they really are. Works. Our words are works. Our words are tangible expression of an inward reality. They're tangible expression of an inward reality. That's not works, that's works. That's what works are. Works show that what is happening on the inside is bearing fruit on the outside, and that's our words. And for most of us here, our words are possibly the biggest work that we display day by day. They're the thing that show most what we believe. And so our words matter. And James is saying, be careful, ke'aloha, how you use your words. Be careful because it can be a blazing fire and salty pond. We don't want our words to be that. So, what? We need true wisdom. So, the title of our sermon What is true wisdom? What is true wisdom? James here is going to show us that true wisdom is two works. The true wisdom is two works. A humble work. True wisdom is a humble work. And secondly, true wisdom is a heavenly work. A heavenly work. A humble work and a heavenly work. So let's jump in. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. See here, true works, true wisdom, true wisdom demands humility as a lifestyle. True wisdom demands humility as a lifestyle. That's what what James is showing us. But he begins with asking a question. Who among you is wise and understanding? Who's perceptive? who has knowledge, who is informed among you, who amongst your body, amongst your members, knows things, has knowledge, who's wise and understanding. But this word understanding has a much deeper meaning than just knowing things. As one theologian puts it, this word understanding means being knowledgeable in a way that makes one effectual in the exercise of such knowledge. Understanding means not only do I know things, but I know how this ought to impact the way that I live. I know how to apply this knowledge, my perception, my information into how I'm living daily. So when James asks, who among you is wise and understanding, he's asking, Who among you has particular insight into living by faith and walking in righteousness? Who among you has the possession of encouragement, exhortation, correction? Who among you is able to apply the word so that we might be doers of the word and not just hearers only? Who's wise in understanding? who is able to use their words to kokua, to help us to live pono, to produce righteous works, who's able to help us understand how to live so that we produce righteous works with the way that we speak. There are many possible right answers, right? Like we can look, we can say, oh, Pastor Randy, Pastor Randy, clearly he's wise in understanding. Some of our seasoned saints our deacons our elders our mothers and fathers yeah that 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 could all possibly be true but there is one very wrong answer to this right there's one very wrong answer who is wise and understanding among you me (laughs) i'm wise and understanding No worries, James, no worries. This church is pono, this church is good because I'm here. I have knowledge and I have wisdom ready to dispense on all of them. No worries, me, I'm wise and understanding. And James, by asking this question, is actually drawing this out of his readers. He's anticipating this type of response. See, James rightfully, he rightly anticipates that pride and knowledge are often married. Pride and knowledge are often married and this union will produce salty, fire-blazing words. And he's drawing us out. He's drawing the pride out of our hearts by asking who, who, which one of you guys? And we know this because of how he responds to the question. He doesn't say, good for you, go and be wise. Listen to what he says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James is saying here that true wisdom demands humility as a lifestyle. True wisdom requires meekness. Meekness and wisdom are to be married to one another. Meekness and wisdom are to be married to one another. True wisdom and humility are inseparable. They need one another. I remember the day that Uncle Lance became a deacon. Not the second time, the first time. (laughs) I think I was like elementary school. And the reason why I remember it is because of what he said to me. I don't know, I was probably fourth or fifth grade, and I seen Uncle Lance had one lay, and I was like, oh, Uncle Lance, how come you have a lay? And he told me, Chris, it's because today the church is gonna make me a deacon. Can you believe that? Me. They wanna make me a deacon. And that conversation did not strike me too much later in life when I realized, well, that was a meekness of wisdom. That was a meekness of wisdom on display for me to learn from. A meekness of wisdom means that we're not obsessing over our own ideas as if they're the highest level of thought to be reached on any certain subject, right? That we're always the expert no matter what comes up. You meet people like that, right? They're always the expert. Like, bro, you're the expert at this and this and this. What? You could be talking about basketball, they know everything, then you talk about knitting and they're, they're talking like they're an expert. You're like, you never even touched sewing needles before, my brother. We're not to always be the expert. We're not self-absorbed or the sun of our own solar system as if every, everyone else's thoughts and opinions were revolving around what we thought and what we thought was the central truth. It was the realest truth. It was the most right thing to possibly hold to, that we are the absolute foundation of what is real. That's not a meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom, there is a recognition, an acknowledgement of our weakness, of our limitation, of our sin, of our lack of knowledge on any given subject. A meekness of wisdom demands a recognition of the supremacy of God, that God sovereignly rules over all things. That's the only way that someone can be properly meek is if they understand that there is a God ruling over all things, and He is the only one who is omniscient. So my knowledge is limited. My understanding of any given subject of circumstance is limited. It's limited. I can't know everything, and therefore I should be meek. It's a meekness of wisdom. Meekness here, meekness here is a desire to honor God and honor others above honoring ourselves. The desire to honor God and others above honoring ourselves. On a daily, our daily exchanges then, should exude a refreshing fragrance of humble living. There should be a, a heavenly pleasantness to our persona that creates a welcoming atmosphere. People should feel welcome around us if we have a meekness of wisdom. When people interact with us daily, they should know, hey, this this person, they care about me, for real kind. Like, they care about me. And you don't even have to say that if there's a meekness of wisdom. Just the way that you speak to them, the words you use, by your good conduct, you let your works show that you have meekness of wisdom. People then should feel confident. They should feel confident to tell you how they feel and what they think And they should feel confident to tell you those things without the fear of not being heard. And without the fear of being heard, then being ridiculed or mocked for believing what they do. People should say, hey, I feel confident enough to tell this person exactly what I think. Because there's a meekness of wisdom. Because they're not gonna ignore me. And because they're not gonna make me feel like my opinion is invalid. That's a meekness of wisdom. That's what a meekness of wisdom creates. This week, I could tell that something was up with Shauna one day. And I was like, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? How come you're acting like this? What's wrong? And you know, she never like tell me. And so I was like, yeah, just tell me. What's wrong? And she told me. And I was like, why are you still thinking about that? Just get over it already. How come you think like that? How come that is still on your mind? That was not a meekness of wisdom. That was prideful arrogance. I did not create by my good conduct a place for her to express herself. (laughs) That was not a meekness of wisdom. I was not outdoing her and showing honor. And when there's a meekness of wisdom, people just know, hey, this person cares about me. This doesn't demand a certain personality type, okay? If you're thinking, hey, but I'm loud and I'm boisterous, I cannot be meek, I can't possess a meekness of wisdom, that's just my personality, wrong. It's not about personality, this is about obeying a biblical command. If you have a loud and boisterous personality, great, but you need to learn to ask good questions and to bridle your tongue so that people know you care about them. Or if you say, you know what? It's just not my personality. People know I care about them because I don't talk very much. I'm shy. People are not gonna think I'm prideful. Well, people could certainly think that you don't care about them at all and that when they speak, that their words don't hold any weight to you. It's not about personality. It's about you obeying a biblical command and producing righteous works. This is the equivalent What James is seeing here is the equivalent to what Paul says. Let love be genuine by outdoing one another in showing honor. That's a meekness of wisdom. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we see that true wisdom demands humility as a lifestyle because true wisdom is a humble work. But what happens when humility is absent? What happens to wisdom without humility? What happens to knowledge without meekness? When someone applies pride and arrogance to a situation that demands wisdom, what comes out is boastful opposition to truth. Prideful arrogance does not lead to helpful aid or the fear of God. Look. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to truth. Did you see that? Look what happens at the absence of meekness. There's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is when we look around and we see what other people have and are like, oh, I don't have that thing. I don't have that thing. I don't that, but you know what? I deserve that. I deserve to have that thing. I'm worthy of that thing. I'm worthy of that honor. I'm worthy of that possession. I'm worthy of that attribute. That's bitter jealousy. And then selfish ambition comes along and it says, you know what, I don't deserve, I deserve what I don't have. Now I'm gonna go and get what I deserve. I'm gonna go get what I deserve no matter what it costs. This phrase just invokes a flavor of bitter self-absorption. In bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, there is a complete lack of care for the well-being of others. You guys know that, that brand, I Yeah? I know Kia, I do what I like. That's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Or that Maui built shirt, it's all about me. Right, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is all about me. You become a monster for your own honor, hungry for your own glory without meekness. And your words reflect that, and it turns to boasting. Right, Do not boast and be false to truth. Boasting creates a false image of ourselves, in our own mind, and attempts to do so in others. That's what boasting does, that's how boasting is a lie. Look how awesome I am, you should think that I'm that awesome. And if you don't think that I'm that awesome, then something is wrong with you. That's boasting, that's what happens. When humility is erased from our knowledge, we become a monster after our own glory. Rather than outdoing one another in showing honor, we are outdoing others in showing honor to ourselves. Look look at how awesome I am. Honor me. I have this knowledge. I have this wisdom. Offering wisdom or knowledge from a position of pride tells a lie. Tells a lie where wisdom should be an exercise of aid, it instead becomes an exercise of arrogance. So it happens without without humility. And this type of wisdom clearly is not true. Clearly not true. It's not true because it doesn't come from the right source. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not godly wisdom. is not from the right source of course it's a false prideful wisdom it doesn't come down from above and then we see three characteristics of this false wisdom of this false wisdom look but it is earthly unspiritual demonic earthly unspiritual and demonic three characteristics of this false wisdom earthly false wisdom is earthly because its source is creaturely in nature its source is from humans its source is from humanity its humanity's attempt to assert themselves over one another therefore this type of wisdom is bound to the limitations of creatureliness it can't move past our own person, there is no transcendence to this type of wisdom. There's no transcendence to this type of offering of wisdom. Thus, there may be positive effects for a period of time, but this type of earthly wisdom cannot offer lasting aid. It can't offer lasting aid. If Mele was riding her scooter down my hill in front of our house and fell down and bust her leg, broke her leg, And I was like, oh man, this is bad. And if I said, you know what, I'm gonna take her to Raymond. And I come to Raymond, I'm like, Raymond, look, man, leg is all bust. Bro, can you help me? He'd be like, Chris, why are you here? I can't help you, you gotta go to the hospital. Because Raymond doesn't have any transcendent medical knowledge compared to me. I need someone with transcendent medical knowledge to offer lasting aid. We need transcendent knowledge. Earthly knowledge is not good enough. It's unspiritual. False wisdom is unspiritual because it's shallow in nature. There's no depth to this wisdom to penetrate into the soul. And if it can't get to the core of the soul, it cannot actually be effective. There's no efficacy to unspiritual wisdom. It can't actually change the problem. This is like taking children's aspirin for my gangrene infested limb. It's probably not gonna help with the pain and it's definitely not gonna heal my leg. We need spiritual wisdom. It's demonic. Its ultimate source is the father of lies. The father of pride, false wisdoms, ultimate source is from the devil. And as a result of it being demonic and coming from the devil, rather than this wisdom inspiring life, and righteousness it will only inflict strife and vileness rather than inspiring life and righteousness it's only going to inflict with strife and vileness that's the only result that earthly unspiritual demonic false wisdom that lacks humility can ever bring to a man look at verse 16 For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The direct repercussion of selfish wisdom is rampant wickedness. Chaos will ensue instead of sowing peace. Vile practices will rise up rather than righteous produce. This type of selfishness, this type of pride and arrogance in knowledge only stirs up and incites venomous contention rather than supplying valuable conviction. Prideful, arrogant wisdom will only stir up and incite venomous contention rather than supplying valuable conviction. When our words come out of pride and are funneled and tunneled through pride, Instead of begetting the response of, oh, that hurt, but I needed to hear that, or wow, I didn't think of that before, thank you. It says, Psh, who does this guy think he is? Who does sister think she is? I don't need to listen to her. Psh, forget her. She doesn't care about me. Why should I care about what she thinks? It creates venomous contention in the soul rather than supplying valuable conviction. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Any knowledge expressed and received through a funnel of arrogance instantly becomes poisonous and rotten. Kiki, Kiki, how many of you guys like Ululani's? Raise your hand. How many of you guys like Ululani's? Kiki, oh yeah, adults too. Yeah, you guys like shave ice, yeah? Shave ice is ono. And Ululani's is so good, right? Like Ululani's, the, the shave ice is so light and fluffy. And then you layer in the flavors and it's so boisterous and bold, right? Then you put the mochi on top and then it's like the texture just explodes into goodness. And you put lihimoi powder and it's just game over. And then some people at Ululani's, they like to get one scoop ice cream in the bottom of the bowl. At the core of the shave ice is this macnut ice cream. And you're making your way through the layers of Ululani's and then you hit that ice cream and you're like, wow, this just got better. At its core is just goodness. Everything about it works. Now I want you to imagine if you got Ululani's and you ordered your mac nut ice cream on the bottom and you work your way through your shave ice and in the middle of your shave ice, instead of there being a scoop of ice cream, there was a scoop of duru. <laughs> it would be shocking, right? Like what in the world is this? Why is this in my shave ice? And you would be disgusted. It would be vile, it would be offensive. That's just wrong. And you know what nobody would say in their right mind? You know what, but this shave ice was so good, I'm just gonna eat around the doo-doo and finish my shave ice. No, nobody would say that, why? because what is at the core has completely permeated and tainted any goodness that that shave ice could have possibly held, and anything good and wonderful about it has become rotten and gross, and that's what happens when our words are funneled through prideful arrogance. Any goodness and righteousness that it held has become venomous and poisonous, There's nothing good about it anymore. Here, James does not deny that prideful hearts can hold helpful knowledge and rightful truth. There may very well be a helpful treasure trove of knowledge within a prideful heart, but a selfish heart corrupts knowledge, and corrupt knowledge hurts people. So we see that true wisdom, true wisdom is a humble work. True wisdom demands humility as a lifestyle because without humility, without meekness, our words are going to destroy and rot and poison. True humility, And true wisdom is a humble work. We also see that true wisdom is a heavenly work. A heavenly work. Verse 17. But wisdom from above. But wisdom. But the wisdom from above. But the wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. James here is saying there's a different kind of wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes down from above. Before we get to the description of true wisdom, we get its source. We figure out where does true wisdom come from? The source of true wisdom is from above. And this means that it is completely in opposition to the wisdom of the world. It is in complete opposition to the false wisdom that we just read of. Whereas false wisdom is earthly, true wisdom is heavenly. It's heavenly, it's transcendent by nature. This means that it can provide lasting help because it is without the limitation of our creatureliness. This wisdom is from above us And so it can help us with a lasting, permanent solution. Because this wisdom is heavenly. Whereas false wisdom is unspiritual, true wisdom is spiritual by nature. This means that it can penetrate into the soul. It brings healing and aid to the core so that the healing becomes holistic, It's spiritual. Whereas false wisdom was demonic, true wisdom comes from above. Its source is the fountain of wisdom. Wisdom from above is God's wisdom. Wisdom from above is God's wisdom. True wisdom belongs to God. And these two words, from above, qualify all of the characteristics that are going to follow it. From above qualifies all of the characteristics that we are going to read. The reason why true wisdom possesses any of these attributes is because, chiefly, it is from above. So I'm just going to camp here, and I, I want to be as just applicational as possible as we work our way through this definition. Okay, so, but the wisdom from above is first. Pure, pure. We are earnestly seeking the optimum amount of good for those whom we bring our wisdom to, right? There's no ulterior motive of pride. There's no showmanship to our wisdom, right? If our wisdom is pure, it isn't a display of our our suave eloquence or our intellectual capacity or our academic background, it's pure. It's pure. There's a complete dedication to seeking out the production of righteous works when we speak with wisdom. There is complete devotion to seeing good accomplished. It's pure. First pure, then peaceable. Peaceable, our aim In utilizing our knowledge is to create peace, not contention. it means by wisdom is pure or peace, peaceable. The bent of our wisdom sharing is peacemaking. We're trying to make peace with the words that we use. We're not just trying to stir up controversy and contention, right? Like every single thing that we can think of, like I want to show this person how much I know about this, or I'm going to bring this up. I want to ruffle some feathers today. If that's your mindset in sharing knowledge, that's wicked. It's a wicked way to think. This means that the way that we use our social media accounts really matter. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you're devoted to dropping truth bombs on social media so people can deal with it, that's not wisdom. Because wisdom is peaceable. Wisdom is seeking after peace, not blowing up controversy. Wisdom is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle. Gentle. This may not mean what you think it means, gentle. Gentleness is an attitude of patience and forbearance and perseverance in bearing other people's burdens. That's what it means to be gentle. That we're willing to suffer a long time, hand in hand with someone else who is suffering. We're patient. We're not insisting that everything that we say needs to be followed to a T. You don't do things exactly like me, and it's wrong. It's not gentle. This demands something from us, being gentle. That when a sister calls you up and they're like, hey, I'm so lonely, I'm so lonely, I don't know what to do. I'm just consumed by my loneliness all the time. That when we say, sister, let me come over, I'll pray with you, we'll read the scriptures together. And you go and you read the scriptures and you pray Gentleness means if she calls you back the next day and says, hey, I'm struggling again with being lonely, that your response isn't, why? Did I not show you in the scriptures how to conquer this? Did I not pray for you to have strength? Why are you still struggling with loneliness? Gentleness looks like saying, I'll come over again. I'll pray with you again. I'll read scriptures to you again and again and again, and I'll bear with you in your loneliness. That's what gentleness means. It means when a brother calls you up and they're like, man, I'm struggling with pornography. You say, okay, I'll come, I'll read the Bible with you. We'll pray together, we'll conquer this sin, that if they call you back the next day and they say, man, I did it again, that your response is, you fool! Don't you know what you're doing? No gentleness demands that we say, I'll pray with you again, brother. I'll come read the scriptures to you again, brother. And if it happens next week, I'll be back. And if it happens next month, I'll be back again and again. And I'll bear with you for a long time. Because that wisdom is gentle. This means that if our spouse or our children or our roommates keep using that phrase that we don't like, that we're not like, right? I told you when you say that, it makes me feel this way. So stop. No, gentleness says, man, you know what? I can overlook that. I can bear with them. I can be patient. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Wisdom is actually open to reason. means that we're not assuming that everything that we say is right, if we're open to reason. This word, open to reason, can easily be translated as obedient or compliant. What? Wisdom is obedient and compliant? This demands that we are eager That if we have true wisdom, that we're eager to submit ourselves to other people's instruction. That if someone offers us something that is better than the way that we're thinking about it, that we say, wow, I didn't didn't think about that before. I didn't see it that way. I didn't understand it like that. Please, help me understand that better. Tell me more. We're open to reason. Open to reason also means that we possess nuance. We possess nuance that we don't think that every single issue is black and white, and if you're not black, you're white, and if you don't agree with me, you're always wrong. No, nuance says, hey, there's some things that we can agree on, and that's okay. That's okay. You you believe this about schooling, I believe this about schooling. You believe this about the eschaton, I believe that about the eschaton. You believe this about soteriology and salvation, but I believe this. Open to reason possesses nuance. Do you possess nuance, Keoloha? Is there nuance in your heart when you hear someone opposing your thoughts? Be open to reason, full of mercy. Our life is deeply marked by dispensing compassion and empathy on people in need. That we are just saturated with mercy and ready to give it out. Because we have received great mercy, right? Have we not received a great mercy? So we should be full of it. And that when we see someone who's overtaken by sin or or overcome by a certain circumstance, that our initial reaction isn't disgust or disregard. It's like, man, that person needs help. Can I help them? Can I somehow show them mercy? Full of mercy and good fruits. Good fruits, our goal is to help produce goodness and righteousness, holiness, moral uprightness and happiness in other people. When we speak with wisdom, that's our goal, is to see good fruits. We should be desirous of people to be holy and happy. This means that the type of words that we use and the way that we use them demands intention. We cannot just say any kind. The first thing that comes to our mind is blah, blah, blah. No, we have to use intention. We have to think carefully about how we're going to use our words if we're to produce holiness and happiness. It's impartial. Our mind is not already made up when we're searching something out. If we're impartial, it means that when we go and search something out, when we have a question for a brother or sister, or are confused or or concerned about something that we're not already in our mind, like it doesn't matter what they say, I know what's true. Impartial means that we're bent toward asking questions, that we're bent toward understanding, to try to understand something so that we might better help. We're impartial, we're bent towards listening and understanding and not asserting our own perspective it's important true wisdom is impartial sincere this word literally just means not a hypocrite not a hypocrite it means that all of these other characteristics you're not faking them you're not acting like oh yeah i get pure wisdom no worries oh i have sincere or i have i'm full of mercy i'm open to reason, that you're not just faking those things, you're not putting on a show, that there abides in our hearts deep and genuine concern for the well-being of others' souls that we really, really care. (coughs) This is the undoer of fake Christianity. We have seen it again and again. Someone is just faking it and they couldn't keep it up and it just unravels. It's the undoer of fake Christianity. Sincerity is the undoer of fake Christianity. And I just wanna give us a word here. If we cannot, if we cannot show the same charity and grace with our words to the people that we're closest to, as with strangers, we need to repent of hypocrisy if we can hold our tongue with our customers and our co-workers and randoms, but we get home and are harsh with our kids, short with our spouse, pretentious with our parents and rude to our roommates, that means that we're acting. That means we're putting on a show. Let us apply wisdom consistently, ki aloha. Let us not be hypocrites. If you're hearing this and you're thinking like, oh man, that is so much. I cannot possibly possess this type of purity and peaceableness and gentleness and sincerity, this type of open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, I, I, I can't do it. You're right. You're right. You're weak. You're limited. We need a wisdom outside of ourselves, just as we need a righteousness that is not our own. And thanks be to God. Because Jesus declared in the Gospels that something greater than Solomon has descended from heaven. Because Jesus came. The greatest embodiment of earthly human wisdom that we've seen was Solomon. And Jesus says, I'm greater than him and I'm here Wisdom finds its beginning and its end in Jesus. Wisdom's height and breadth and depth is as expansive as Jesus. Wisdom's exhaustive existence springs forth from and is embodied in perfect completion in the person of Jesus because Jesus is God, and because God is true wisdom. The only way to gain true wisdom, then, is by experiencing life with Christ through faith in Christ. The only way for us to gain wisdom from above is if God on high indwells us and fills us with His Spirit, through faith in Christ. And that faith, that faith will produce the righteous work of wisdom. It will accomplish it. Thus to gain Christ is to gain wisdom. And verse 18 supports this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's kind of a hard verse to understand. I feel like the NIV hits it a little bit better. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise up a harvest of righteousness. Is Jesus not the ultimate peacemaker who sowed in peace? Did Jesus become a man who was God, to make peace between God and man where there was only enmity and strife and vileness? Did he not implant his body like a seed into the ground and sow it in peace? And by his bodily resurrection, did he not raise up a harvest of righteousness? Are we not that harvest of righteousness that raised with him we are? because peacemakers who sow in peace raise up a harvest of righteousness. True wisdom seeks to implant peace and righteousness so that peace and righteousness might be produced by the implanted. That's what Jesus did for us. And then we get to join in Jesus's heavenly work of wisdom when we give wisdom to others. And this is what Jesus meant by the good soil will produce 60 and 100 fold, that when we share wisdom and implant peace and righteousness and then they bear peace and righteousness and implant it in others, there is an explosion of righteousness because of true wisdom, because of the work of Christ. Wow, this all makes wisdom a heavenly work. So we see that wisdom is a humble work. Wisdom is a heavenly work. And with that knowledge, if we go back to that first question and we ask, who is wise and understanding among you? From a position of humility, the right answer becomes me. I, I have wisdom and understanding that can be shared with my members and my brothers and sisters so that they might walk in righteousness. I have wisdom and understanding so as to help them be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Who is wise and understanding among you? You are, Uncle Bill, Auntie Lynn, you are. You are Uncle James. Auntie Elaine, you are wise and understanding among us. Who is wise and understanding among us? We are. If you have gained the person of Jesus and had his work applied to your life, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, then you are the possessor of a humble and heavenly work of wisdom. You have all of the tools necessary then to help us with your words, produce works that justify our faith. We need one another's wisdom. So in humility and heavenly empowerment, go. Beloved, aloha. We should be giving wisdom to one another. You lack wisdom, let him ask from God, but also go to this person or that person. Go to someone that you haven't been to before. Be open to reason. Be pure and peaceable, gentle. Open a reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And if you're thinking here today, like if I embrace all of that stuff, it's gonna make me weak. It'll be weak. No. It will make you strong, because it will make you meek. And by being meek, you will become more like Jesus. And by being more like Jesus, you will gain true wisdom, a humble and heavenly work of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that that you humbled yourself. Jesus, you humbled yourself. Though you were transcendent and above all things, were the radiance of his glory the exact imprint of his nature you humbled yourself and then you implanted in us peace and raised up a harvest of righteousness would you help us would you give us true wisdom would you be our true wisdom we need you Jesus spirit we need you to dwell in us and father We need your wisdom. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.